I'm Francesc and it's now go time. It's GoTime, a weekly podcast where we discuss interesting topics around the Go programming language, the community, and everything in between. If you currently write Go or aspire to, this is the show for you. Okay, so we are back for another episode of GoTime. This is episode number 13. Uh, Before we kick off the show, I want to give a quick shout out to our sponsors for this episode. Uh, Linode, Changelog's cloud server of choice, and Equinox IO, the best way to package and distribute your Go apps. So today on the show, we have myself, Eric St. Martin. Uh, Brian Kettleson is also on the line. And Brian Kettleson without much sleep, apparently. So half of Brian Kettleson is on the line. (laughs) (laughs) And then we also have Carlicia Campos. Alive and kicking after GopherCon. And our special guest for today's show is Frances Campboy from the Go Team. Say hello, Frances. Hey, how are you doing? Good, good. So uh, let's talk about GopherCon. Being, I think all of us were there, at least partially. <laughs> Brian half sleep at GopherCon. Yeah, apparently. So this is our first show after GopherCon, and let's see, GopherCon officially ended last Wednesday. It's now. Thursday, I still haven't even read all my email or done my laundry. <laughs> I just I just got to my inbox zero yesterday and I was so proud. Yeah, that I'm done for the rest of the week. I spent airline time doing the inbox zero thing. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't been at inbox zero for a long, long, long time. So I didn't have to do laundry because I got so many shirts at GopherCon. I'm just wearing them one at a time. At some point, I'll run out. But... You know, then I'll have to maybe do laundry this weekend. But it's it's pretty nice getting a lot of shirts. How do people even manage collecting all of that swag? I mean, like, it's just you need like a bring a second suitcase just to bring home swag. Or you do it like me because I was there the year before. I, I went prepared. My suitcase was small and pretty much empty because I knew I'm like I basically only need one t-shirt. So <laughs> I'm gonna get t-shirts for the rest of the the rest of the days. I can't keep mine. My wife likes to steal all of them. I, I think like we need to have people make less comfortable shirts and then they won't get stolen. <laughs> so Francesca, you want to talk to us a little bit about your talk at GopherCon? It was actually really interesting to, to put that much attention on uh, nil, which I think from most people's perspective is when you talk about it, it's for bad reasons and not for kind of uh, good uses and why nil is act- should be embraced. Yeah, I agree. So, so yeah, the, the talk basically came up when I started talking with someone about how uh, there was nil receivers that could work, right? Like you, if you define a function uh, on a pointer method, on a pointer receiver, if that pointer is nil, that doesn't mean that the method will fail. And after talking about that, we started talking about all the things where nil was useful. And, and I saw that there was kind of a, a theme where basically nil and go is not something that should be avoided in general. I mean, you need to be careful, obviously, but, but it is something that can be really, really useful. And so I thought it could be an interesting talk. But really, when, when I proposed the, the talk, I was in a bar in Belgium right after FOSDEM. And basically, I just sent the abstract and I was very excited about it. 
But when it got accepted, I was like, oh, wait, now I need to talk <laughs> about Nailder in 30 minutes? <laughs> that is gonna, that's going to be fun. I think you tweeted a picture of that, didn't you? Yes, yes. I want to say you tweeted a picture of you holding up a beer saying you were working on your proposal. Yep. Uh, that was actually at Fosdem, so in Brussels, I think it was in February, probably. Uh, don't remember. But yeah, it was surrounded by other gophers. We had finished the go dev room uh, at Fosdem, so lots of people all surrounding us. And basically, we did a, a proposal party where... <laughs> We just sent all, all of our talk proposals at the same time, pretty much, right before it was too late. So, <laughs> so yeah, we were part of the people. You know that, that peak that you get at the end, the last hours before you get to the deadline? The last 48 hours where we get like 70%. Yeah. The procrastinators party. Procrastinator, absolutely, yes, that was me. <laughs> so how did you feel about going on first this year? I was, I was pretty nervous. Uh, my talk changed a lot since uh, since I was notified that I was <laughs> the opening keynote speaker. I was like, "Oh wait, what?" So so I made it more of a um, of a uh, like trying to get a mission of embracing Neil rather just giving a bunch of um, of technical facts. And I think it made the talk much better. Uh, to be honest, I was nervous also about being the first person on stage. But then I saw Kelsey Hightower was right before me and he did such an amazing job that it was actually, it was very easy to get on stage after him and also incredibly hard to try to compete against what he did. So <laughs> yeah, the remix of that poem was just, was, was awesome. Yeah. So we, he has it. We sent him home with a framed copy of it. Yeah. I actually said when I got on stage, I said, uh, that he almost made me cry and people laugh about it like it was a joke. It was not. I was almost crying. I was like, it is going to be hard to to say that Neil is a good thing while crying. So let's let's keep it calm. Yeah, <laughs> it was very, very moving. And you're yeah. telling yourself on the inside, put yourself together now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah. Yeah. So the Nil talk was one of the ones I actually got to see um, a good portion of. And I really enjoyed it, though. Because there are a lot of use cases, and I was glad you pointed out one of my favorites, which is uh, setting a channel to nil that way in a select so that you can continue to select on the other channels. Yeah, it is something that it, it's so simple. Like once you understand it, it is so obvious. But many people, when they write concurrent programs, don't take that into account. And it very often it will happen that they either have uh, a busy loop or they will leak memory, leak go routines and things like that. So there's like these little things that I'm trying to get people to, to keep in mind for whenever they actually need them. Yeah, speaking of leaking go routines, uh, Ivan's talk with the visualizing the concurrency, I've never seen leaking go routines look so awesome. <laughs> that was amazing, yeah. <laughs> It's like, how can this be so terrible, but yet so beautiful at the same time? Well, that's, um, that's an interesting segue into one of the Go projects that I was keeping my eye on this week. He released that uh, particular package, GoTrace, I want to say yesterday or the day before. That's at um, github.com slash D-I-V-A-N slash GoTrace. Really awesome tool. Yeah, it I, I was checking it this morning before, and the animations are just so beautiful that I want to run it with everything. <laughs> I'm just hoping that uh, basically the problem right now is that the browsers are not able to catch up with all the Go routines that we start Wingo. Maybe we should make Go routines heavier <laughs> or browsers <laughs> faster, but there's a problem here. 
filing a bug for uh, for the browser saying that it needs to, to increase performance so that we can show our, all of our Go routines. Yeah. It's a motivating factor. <laughs> but yeah, they look really cool. I My favorite graph from everything he showed was the Eratosthenes uh, Prime Sieve. Because I've seen that program many times before, and it is kind of hard to explain how it works. And after seeing that, I feel like anyone could just be like, oh, okay, I get it. I understand all the good routines, what they're doing, the data, how it's going through all the filters and everything. It's just beautifully simple. And visually, visualizations are hard too. Like that's something I've always struggled with is like, how do you take some complex thing going on behind the scenes and visualize it so that you can easily understand it? And I think he did a really good job at, you know, being able to see the data going between uh, go routines and things like that, the transfer of execution. So, yeah, it's it's a really cool project. I'm waiting for the video to come out. I missed parts of it. That's that's the sad part that Brian and I have to struggle through is uh, we don't always get to see all of the talks. Yeah, actually, uh, since you mentioned videos, uh, I've had this question many times. When are the videos coming out? So they take about a month um, because there's some post-production time. So we have 24 five videos that have to be produced and then lightning talks yeah and then they're so they're so massive they have to send them to a they have to mail a hard drive to us oh nice so yeah so it takes it takes uh, a couple weeks to up to a month so i would say by the time it's hit one month out the video should be out i think last year or something like that uh 18 days or, or something along those lines is what it took us to get them live did they all come out at once yeah, they send a hard drive of all of them, and and then I set my computer loose on uploading to YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> now this year was a little different because we streamed live on YouTube, so a lot of people on um, Twitch, I, YouTube, Twitch. Sorry, thank you. <laughs> I, did I mention I need some sleep? So <laughs> we did the the live streaming this year, and I think we had a maximum of almost two thousand people at any given time watching, which was amazing, and a total of almost I want to say what is it ninety eight. 9,800, almost 10,000 people? Or was it 8,800, almost 9,000? One of those two. I think it was 9,000. Yeah, a lot of people around the world watched at various points during GopherCon, and that, that just made my day. It was really neat to be able to share that, the conference that was you know, a, a very local and specific thing with the whole world. Yeah, one of the people that were there on Twitch was my mom watching my talk. Oh, really? <laughs> Which That's is awesome. Fun fact. Yeah, fun fact. She doesn't speak English. So, yeah, that was... <laughs> She she loved to talk. She doesn't know what I said, but she loved to talk. <laughs> yeah, and and uh, as Scott is mentioning on the Go Time FM Gophers channel, it's the conference is local, but the content is pretty relevant to everybody, and uh, it has a pretty wide range of talks. And of course, people all over the world can benefit. Like uh, I just want to I want to mention this because it was so awesome yesterday. The the remote meetup streamed the Go SF. Uh, meetup, and it was amazing. Awesome. It's, it's this uh this business of streaming is awesome. We we need to keep doing it. Yeah, the only struggle with streaming is is if it starts taking away from physical attendance because one's free and and one pays for everything. So, but I think people get a lot more out of like attending. There's there's a lot that you can get out of just just being there and being able to network. So. Um, I guess videos would have would have taken away attendance if that was ever going to be a thing. But I, I share some concerns though. we had we had some discussions with uh, Kelsey and somebody else. I think it might have been Dave Cheney, 
where this whole like nature of uh, streaming and recording and stuff like that also um, starts kind of burning out speakers because they constantly have to have new content and they can't continuously deliver and improve on a talk because once they've given it and it's been recorded, then it's kind of done. Nobody wants to, to see, nobody wants to pay to go to a conference and see a talk that they already saw on YouTube. So on the other hand, conferences being slow at, the, at releasing the videos actually help us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, exactly. Because more people get, get to see your content and yeah. things like that. And I mean, for us, the videos going out was really just trying to help the community grow, right? The more content, the more people can be exposed to the language and the more growth we see in the community, which was kind of our motivating factor for releasing the videos. Yeah. And, and my general theory has always been that whether we're releasing the videos or whether we're doing a live stream, most people come to conferences and the, the talks are almost secondary to all of the rest, the networking, you know, getting together with your friends, the community, you know, a lot of people I talk to skipped out on talks at various times of the day and went off and did, did things with people that they don't get to see often. So it's, it's, it's like there are benefits to going to the conference that aren't directly related to those talks. And, and you know that it's going to be on, on YouTube later. So there's, there's no need to attend all of them. And hack day. Holy cow. People stayed for that. I mean, there was probably 800 people there. I mean, that it was, was, that was a big surprise. I think we planned for half of that. Yeah, it was it was pretty amazing to see so many people working on random things. Uh, I was working on so we had the the Go project room, and before going there, I was working on something else. Uh, actually, releasing my podcast because it was Wednesday and I had totally forgot about that. But <laughs> it was really funny because uh, people could keep on coming to me and I was like, "Oh, so what are you hacking on? How can can we work together or something?" It's like this very collaborative spirit of everyone trying to help each other. I loved it. You can help me release my podcast episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so tell us a little more about what went on in the Go project room. So, so it, it was pretty funny because we did not really have that much time to prepare it. So rather than trying to have a very, uh, very strict schedule, what we decided was we had one of the meetings that we hold for every release meeting. So this year was Go 1.7 release meeting, and we did that from 10 to 10.30, so just half an hour, so people could see how, how a new version is released uh, for Go. And that was, that was, very, that was very powerful, because people sometimes think that is something like dark and like magic, and it's like, no, it's just like a bunch of people talking about what they, they, they want to make sure that everything is out, and there's no more bugs and things like that. So it's... It was pretty good, but my favorite part was uh, right after we had the dependency discussion. And the dependency discussion, it is pretty interesting because it's like talking about one of the hot topics in the Go community, vendoring. And not only vendoring, talking about is vendoring the good solution and how should we do it and what are the tools and everything. And I know that uh, Chris Broadfoot was there. He took a bunch of notes and I'm looking forward to the to the document that will explain basically about all the things that were discussed. But it was a very, very active discussion. That's for sure. That room was packed the entire time. And no riots. No riots. It was crazy. That's what I was going to ask. Nobody got stabbed or or anything. (laughs) I mean, vendoring. This is a hot topic. This can be contentious. 
I know that some people were very passionate about it, but not to that point, fortunately. Yeah. <laughs> I really liked how that room turned out, though. It kind of grew organically. And I think that it's something that we should kind of continue to grow on its own, make more space and put some AV in there and, and maybe live stream that because, I mean, there's there were a lot of valuable discussions that were going on and it seemed a lot of people wanted to be involved in that, too. So, yeah, I think I think continuing to grow that each year will be nice as well. Yeah, I'm looking forward to next year trying to do something even bigger. Speaking of bigger, we wanted to get because this year's mascot was a uh, parade balloon, like, you know, like Macy's Day Parade. We wanted to get like a big one to float and we never got around to that. Ah, that that could have been amazing. (laughs) We probably would have had to have some special dispensation from the damn fire marshal, though. Don't get me started on that fire marshal. <laughs> we should have a gopher parade to open gopher con. We need a gopher fire marshal. That gopher, the balloon gopher, just as a plushie, I could love that. So if you're thinking about presents to get me, you know, now you know. <laughs> For anybody listening and you want to get... For anybody presents, listening, yeah. <laughs> a, a parade balloon gopher. <laughs> yep. The little toys were fun that we did for 2015 too. The horsey gopher. I thought about getting more of those done. Yeah. We'll have to keep toying with that idea. So did you have any favorite talks that you came out of, Princess, that you liked? So there were there were many talks that were very interesting. I I really loved Ivan's talk on on uh, the visualization of concurrency because I think it is something that I struggle with. I teach many people uh, about Go and it is very hard to visualize what a program is doing. And I feel like with this, it is so much easier. My favorite talk, though, probably was Katrina's. Oh, without a doubt. I'm, that was amazing. I haven't seen all the talks, but all the ones that I did see, that one, I, I think she put into really good terms, like something that we all struggle with. And like, yeah. I love, <laughs> she just kicked it off really well, like all the ingredients of a Twinkie. It's like, I have a degree in molecular biology. I know what all of these things are, but I still can't turn it into a delicious pastry. (laughs) (laughs) It was a great talk. Very inspiring. Yeah. My favorite, my favorite part about the talk was other than the fact that the, I mean, the presentation was amazing and the slides were beautiful. And uh, one of the slides was the Metro of Barcelona, which I always appreciate. But uh, my favorite part was uh, the fact that she talked about how you can be fluent without being proficient. And that is something I had never thought about. The fact that, for instance, if you're learning how to speak English, uh, you could be totally proficient at, sorry, totally fluent at asking beer when you're at a bar. But that doesn't mean that you know how to read Shakespeare. And that's totally fine. And and I think that applying that to, to teaching Go can be very interesting. Like, you know, don't try to learn all the concurrency pattern don't try to use uh generic not generic sorry oops uh and save uh don't try to <laughs> We're use gonna have to uh, shut reflection down <laughs> uh, and instead just like get uh, really understand the basics be fluent in those basics and then move on from there i thought that was a very very powerful and she explained it in such a beautiful way that you know it's like i love the talk really yeah and the the, the kind of comparison to to graphs I think really kind of set some of that stuff home, right? Like, you know, for, for any of us that look at a language spec and we're like, oh, that makes total sense. We, we forget that we have all of these nodes of information and we're just drawing connections between them. And it makes it, you know, it makes it easy for us to do stuff. 
and like even even behavior like i know in the slack channel i've been quick to like answer a question and i'll link to a section of the language spec and it makes it look like that's just knowledge i have in my head like oh yeah right here in the language spec and it's like no oftentimes it's i vaguely remember there being some rule about that i look it up real quick and then link somebody to it but the outside perspective is that there's a bunch of us running around and we just memorize this stuff and it's just not true and i think she also did a really great job in like like you were saying francesc in articulate or maybe eric in articulating what we were thinking um I didn't even, I couldn't even point towards what she said before I heard her say it. And now I can, which is there is no clear path for a person who is a newcomer to go to being proficient or a person who is a beginner to programming and being proficient in Go. And we know Go is a very simple language to learn. So there, there should not be this barrier. And a lot of people had we're having this conversation at the conference and even after the conference, for example, Matt Simonetti did a beautiful blog post about Go being for everyone. And I think this is going to be very healthy uh, for us to identify what we need to do and why we need to do these things. Because I think a lot of us want people to join the community and not just because we want everybody to do Go, but if you do want to do Go or try it out, there should be an easy path for you. It should be not only welcome in the community as a person, which we, I think we're doing a great job at that, and we can talk more about that too, but also as far as learning the, the language. Yeah. And similar to that talk was uh, Michael Matlub's talk on contributing to Go. And even open source, I think that that was valuable too, because a lot of people feel like they're not at the skill level they need to be in order to contribute. And there, there are so many ways to contribute. And, you know, one thing that I've advocated to people is that sometimes a solution to a problem is better than no solution. And it's easy for somebody to come through and be like, oh, well, you could make this faster if, you know, you remove these couple allocations or it would look cleaner if you made these couple of abstractions. But they're looking at it after the fact, right? Like seeing somebody's solution and thinking about how to tweak it to make it better is, is much easier than solving the initial problem. So I think that there's value in people contributing test cases or you know testing bugs to, to get steps to reproduce vague bugs people put. And there's so many ways that people can contribute, but I think a lot of people are like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm not at that standard. I can't, there's nothing I can do to help and I shouldn't have any business being in the repo trying to submit patches. Yeah, that, that that actually ties pretty well with uh, something else that we discussed in the Go uh, the Go project room um, during Hack Day, which is uh, we had these we had actually two different talks, we two different sessions where we ended up discussing the same things, which is the user feedback and then the diversity discussion. And surprisingly, we ended up talking about pretty much the same things, which were uh, we need more people in the community to do that. We need to teach more people. And to teach more people, we need better, uh, better ways uh, to basically welcome people that have never programmed in any other language. Uh, we have things like uh, the Go Tour, which is, I, I think it's a, it's a great tool for people that have already programmed in other languages. But if you come from no programming experience at all, when we say, oh yeah, the for loop is like C++, just without the parentheses. It's not incredibly helpful. 
So we were talking more about, okay, so how do we get these started? What kind of resources we want them to, to get together? Uh, Katrina uh, was talking a lot about what kind of resources are available in the Ruby community. Uh, and, and I think that that is something that hopefully during, uh, uh, during this year and coming up to next GopherCon, we'll have new things and new projects about, about how to basically get more gophers involved. And I think some of uh, the tour too um, can be misleading. Uh, I was helping somebody who was who was walking through the tour, and there was one particular exercise uh, where I think all it wanted you to do was do like a, a loop through a multi-dimensional array. It was a slices section, and basically um, allocate the slices for this multi-dimensional slice. And uh, but the example really explained it as like outputting a grayscale image. And really, like what the value was wasn't important. It gave some examples, but the it was even just in the phrasing of the question, it made it sound like it was this advanced thing, like they wanted you to draw an image with with the multi-dimensional array, and it, it kind of locked this person up and like, wait, wait, you know, I've never drawn images and stuff like that. Yeah. So I think having a feedback loop on some of those things where things might seem more advanced than they really are, and just changing the wording of it can can help a lot too. And Anybody who can submit advice or things that they run into that seem harder than they feel it should have been. You know, we definitely welcome pull requests. That's right. The tour is um, <laughs> the tour is part of the repo for pull requests, isn't it? Yep. So, so if anyone, uh, I actually maintain it partly. So if you send pull requests or even better, if you don't know how to improve it, but you, you know that it is not clear, just send bugs. Uh, from the tour, there is a little bug button on uh, the right uh, 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 right corner on the top. And from there, you will go to the GitHub repo, which is github.com slash golang slash store. And then you can just set uh, your bugs in there, your issues. And hopefully, I will take care of them. Uh, but I agree that in general, there are the exercises tend to be a little bit too complex and it's not always related to go like uh one of the examples is the first ex the first exercise ever it is a for loop to compute a square root of a number using uh newton's method which by itself just sounds scary and it turns out it's just a for loop so it can be a little bit confusing at the beginning yeah, I think for anyone who has more of a formal background, some of these things seem clearer than people who kind of are, are more autodidact where they, they've, they've taught themselves to program and maybe don't have the formal. Am I on the subject? There was a lightning talk by this guy, and, and I keep forgetting his name. And I'm looking through the, the on the repo for the 2016 talks, the GopherCon repo, and I can't identify his in there. Maybe he hasn't edited it yet. But in any case, he has this proposal about um, doing an open source collaborative efforts in putting together a book. And he has some specific ideas that thought were brilliant. And I'm hoping he was going to go forward with that. And, um, you know, I'd love to get people connected to get that. Landon Jones. Yes, he's pretty, uh, he's a firecracker. <laughs> I hope this takes off. Wait, what talk was this, you said? It was a lightning talk on the first day. Yeah, he was talking about, I think, building a book for high school students or, or something along those lines. I didn't see the talk, but I remember people 
uh, referring to it. Yeah. Yeah. He cornered he cornered me in the hallway. His his idea for the book is called The Little Gopher, and it sounds really interesting. He's even uh, trying to line up Renee to help with some illustrations. Cool. I'll, I'll check it out whenever the the talks are out. If Renee cannot help him, I know uh, a designer who can take Renee's graphics and and really do something amazing. Now that now that you mentioned Renee, I gotta say that if Katrina's was my favorite talk. Renee's was probably the second one or maybe the first one. It is hard to choose because they're very different. But Renee's talk was amazing. Agreed. And I'm just so happy you had such a non-technical conference, a uh, non-technical talk at such a conference. It was great. Uh, yeah, I mean, the Gopher is a staple of our community. So when when she submitted a proposal, we're like, all right, we we have to do this. Yeah, this has to happen. Yeah. And it was it was kind of interesting that she wanted to do the talk with all of the stage lights dimmed and only the the screen that that caused the whole convention center staff to go into a full panic. <laughs> oh, we can't possibly do that. What if what if there's a fire and people get up and trip over each other because the house lights are down? So we, we had to ask Kelsey specifically to to mention, you know, stay in your seats. Don't move. We're going to dim the lights. Keep calm. Don't panic. Yeah, that talk was just phenomenal. I'm really happy she came out and got to to give everybody a little insight into the gopher and it was kind of fun and i think it was a welcome mind break for a lot of people too because you're kind of overwhelmed with all this new content so just kind of being able to sit back and relax and kind of have some fun with the go gopher and i love that she she credited a lot of artists who have been doing um artwork surrounding the gopher recently too it's kind of fun to see her take on that I, I want to encourage people to watch it if they didn't watch it at the conference. It was not a, just an amazing talk about the gopher. She, did, she, did a, she really went deep into the design uh, process, her, uh, her process, how she approached it. And you will never look at the gophi the same again. You know, my favorite part was that she stayed after the talk and gave out those cute little gopher sheets with custom drawn gophers on the back of them that she autographed. Yeah. I don't know how many people were able to take advantage of that, but I saw dozens and dozens of people walking around with them. I thought that was adorable. It was it was pretty funny because uh, there was a really long line and then a bunch of people from the go team waiting for her to finish to go get lunch. And <laughs> when the line was over. The people from the Go team started lining up because we also wanted them. <laughs> they were amazing. That is in my new desktop. My new uh, desktop background is uh, the Gopher sheet draw for me. is is just amazing. It's like I can eat or I can have a custom drawn Gopher. Yeah, that's not a choice. Yeah. So when she made one for me, the first thing she asked me was, "What are your girls' names again, Brian?" So I told her my my daughter's names because last year after GopherCon. Uh, both of my daughters painted pictures of the gopher and we mailed them to Renee. And she said, as she was drawing the picture for my girls, she said, I've got those hanging in my living room. And I was just like, oh my God, oh my heart. (laughs) I was, (laughs) I was so impressed. So this is a good time for us to stop and take a break and thank our sponsor Linode. Linode is ChangeLog's cloud server of choice. It's what Adam and Jared are using to build their new CMS, and the the future of ChangeLog is writing on Linode. Uh, You can get a Linode server up and running in seconds. Uh, The easiest way to get started is by going to linode.com slash go time. You can choose your flavor of Linux, the resources you want, and the location of your node. They've got eight data centers spread across the world, and plans start at $10 a month. Nice thing about Linode is that you get full root access. You can run VMs or containers, your private Git server. You can run Hugo and have your own blog. Uh, 
you get native SSD storage, fast 40 gigabit networking, and nice Intel E5 processors. Got a fancy control panel where you can reboot things and resize things and clone your VMs, as well as a CLI tool that you can use to manage and an API so that you can call it remotely. You can use the code GOTIME20 to get two free months, which is $20 credit. And you should tell your friends about that so everybody can go off and get their own servers. So again, go to linode.com slash GOTIME so you can get started. And they keep us on the air. Yay. So uh, were there any other talks anybody uh, was able to see that were interesting? I know um, uh, Donnie Berkowitz uh, won. His talk was really well received as well. Or Burkholz, rather. Burkholz, yeah. Yeah, the Mining the Go developer community. And I didn't get to see that one. Was that something you got to see, Francesc? Yeah, I got to watch it. And it was, it was very interesting. I really like, uh, basically, he kind of did my job because I tried to understand the Go community better. It's like, yeah, that is, that is actually very interesting data. Uh, there were a lot of interesting things, like how people are using, um, how people are using vendoring what kind of tooling they're using if people are using uh, uh debuggers or not and, and i think it's a very good place to start to basically try to have a campaign on like if we want everybody to use i don't know GoFund. i mean GoFund is the one that everybody uses but like things like error check how many people are using that that is actually a very interesting conversation and, and try to get more people to use the tools that everybody agrees increase the the quality of your code so yeah I, I love the talk so here's something that's just blowing my mind we've got uh one of our remote very remote people on slack right now saying that his favorite uh, talk was the inside the map implementation from keith randall uh, the reason this blows my mind is because i know he wasn't at gophercon and he watched it over the live stream I, I'm, I'm just having a little bit of a a, a joyous moment right here yeah, uh, I got to say that Keith's talk was uh, so technical, but so funny at the same time that I loved it. My favorite part was when basically in a, in a very, very fine example of trolling, he said, oh, Go doesn't have generics, but you can fix it with unsafe. I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> <laughs> you did not go there. <laughs> yeah, what was that, a, a map of uh, function pointers? Yeah, it was it was pretty amazing. I mean, the whole thing, how it was done and everything, it inspired me to try to implement Go Maps by myself, too. But at the same time, I feel like for some people might be a little bit like a little bit too. At, like, I don't want people to be so attracted to unsafe that they're going to just be using it everywhere. Like, you know, maps are already there. Have fun. Enjoy them. Don't reinvent the wheel, especially don't reinvent unsafe wheels if possible. Uh, the thing I love about the unsafe package is basically it makes you, it's like, you know, you want to delete a GitHub repo. You have to type the repo's name to be sure. <laughs> like so yeah. every time you go to use unsafe, you have to say unsafe. <laughs> it just keeps beating it into you. I should not be doing this. Yeah, I, I had an idea. I, I don't know if you saw it, but I tweeted about how what you can use an alias uh, when you do import. So you could do import tote safe unsafe. And now instead of um, uh, unsafe the pointer, you have tote safe the pointer. You know, that fixes the problem. <laughs> totally safe dot. <laughs> totally safe dot pointer. Yep. And it works. That sounds like a website we should have. Tote safe 
Toad save that. Yeah, Toad save the pointer. That is. I think we need to make a new top level domain. Dot pointer. <laughs> Toad save that io. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, that that'd be a good mm. vanity vanity package for any Go package. You could use the vanity URL. You know, Tote safe. Dot Tote safe. Mm. With a tagline, you can trust us. Yeah, we <laughs> we promise. <laughs> yeah, there were so many good talks. But uh, so back to kind of the, the um, Go project room, I, I want to make sure we touch on that, too, because I know it's definitely something Carlicio was interested in speaking with you while you were on the show, uh, the diversity discussions. I wasn't in on that. How did, how did that go? So it went really well. They, it, was, it was full all the way. So that was very interesting seeing so many people uh, interested in talking about diversity and not only people that are members of diverse, diverse uh, of what you're going to say, the diversity of uh, minority, uh, minorities represented at uh, GopherCon, like black people and women and uh, LGBTQ, et cetera. But there were also a lot of allies that were there to represent and basically to give support. That was, that was very interesting. And we talked about many things. Like one of the things that I, I tried to propose, and I, I hope it's going to happen is, you know, the same way there was this talk about mining the Go community and that understands how gophers uh, do technical things. Uh, I was wondering if we could do something similar about who are those gophers? Where are they? Uh, do they live somewhere in the United States in cities where they have meetups or are they far apart? Are they uh, do they have kids or do they have like, is it easy for them to attend conferences like GopherCon or uh do they prefer things like uh, the remote meetup organized by GoBridge? Is that useful for them? So that was pretty interesting. And then we moved into talking about all the things like how to make the Go community more approachable. There was a lot of discussion on basically improving the uh, newcomers uh, documents that we have right now. They're, I could say they're not bad, but we can definitely do much better. So there was a lot of people talking about how to make those better, how to Learn a little bit from the Ruby community uh, where, you know, the Ruby community, they have a lot of funny examples. Like it is not only about technology. It is also about having fun while learning and things like that and trying to apply that to the Go community. I think it's very interesting. And there is also, um, I don't want to say his name wrong. Johnny, what's his name? Let me find uh, Johnny Bursi code, I think. I might be pronouncing it incorrectly. I think it's Perskowit. Yeah, so he, he pointed out that uh, it is good to have those materials. And, but once we have them, we, we need to go out to other communities and, and teach. And he was talking how he's going to, to schools that don't have any technological plan. Like they don't have technical uh, uh, curriculum. And he goes there and volunteers to teach kids that otherwise could not have access to, to programming classes. And he, is, he teaches that in Go. And, and I think that is amazing. I could like to see more of that. And I think that both things, having better uh, materials for newcomers and then the Go community ourselves, ourselves going out to reach into these communities that otherwise could not have access to it, could make our community much, much better, much more diverse, and also much, uh, much larger and welcoming. I think Eric and I had a conversation not too long ago 
sometime in the last year about how Go needed a, a uh, the Go equivalent of Ruby's Why the Lucky Stiff. Yeah. Those, those absolutely crazy articles with cartoons that actually taught programming while you weren't busy thinking about it because you were having so much fun learning. Yeah, I saw, uh, I don't know if you've seen this thing and I love it and I'm going to try to copy it somehow. Uh, it is uh, Swift Playgrounds. Oh, the ones on uh, like iPad or iPhone? Yes. Uh, so basically you learn, like, you learn to program by calling functions and there's this little... I'm not really sure how to describe. It's like the weirdest animal ever. Uh, and it just goes around and collecting gems and jumping into places. And all of those are functions that you call. But then on top of that, you can write for loops and things like that. I think that something like that could be very useful for Go. So I've been working in, uh, in something similar to that. I'm still in that very, very early stage, but that is one of the projects that basically came out from that discussion in the, in the uh, Go project room. Were there other discussions about uh, specific projects or specific things that could be done to increase the diversity of the community in general? So we discussed uh, the impact of uh, what Women Who Go has been doing and GoBridge, uh, what they have been doing. And I think that it is very powerful and what they what all the impact that they've had so far is very positive. So that is something that we should keep on doing. There was also another idea that I think came from Katrina. So Katrina works at GitHub and they sponsored uh, this thing. It's called First Robotics. And uh, we were wondering, could, be, could robotics be a good place for Go to be, to be taught? So if we're able to make GoBot work work easily on the robots that I miss I mispronounce robot all the time. So I'm gonna try to say it clearly robot. Uh, if we're able to make them work on those, uh, if it could be a fun thing for kids to learn how to program those bots and go around just by writing Go. Were you at the San Francisco meetup yesterday, Francesc? Yes, I was there, but I had to leave. Uh, so I missed uh, Borges' talk. Uh, I know it was recorded, so I'm looking forward to watching it too. Yeah, exactly, because uh, that's exactly where I was going. She she She's going to put out a proposal to just abstract, to, to have an abstraction of uh, a lot of the interface that will be required for go to work with the, with the hardware, including robotics and GoBots and... Whenever that comes out, people should um, try to contribute. So, I mean, just because to make that happen, we will need to have a better interface. And Ron uh, Evans from the hybrid group, who does our, our GoBot room every year for Hack Day, like he loves kids. He, he, I don't think there's anything he loves more than teaching kids about robotics and programming. Yeah, we had a call with him a couple months before GopherCon. And, and it's probably important that everybody knows that he donates all of his time and he gets sponsors for all of that equipment. You know, he does this because he loves it. And uh, he told us in an, in an offhand sort of way that, that the whole programming thing is, is kind of a, a sideline that he does to fund playing with kids and robots. Hmm. So, you know, the guy really loves what he's doing and, and we sure appreciate how much time he spends with us at a GopherCon. Did you get to hack on any robots, anybody? I actually uh, had to leave early, which was a huge mistake. That was one of that was actually to a totally different day. It was totally relaxed. Everybody had done their talks. 
everybody had watched their talks and it was i felt uh, such a relaxed atmosphere and next year i'm not gonna make this mistake again because i did the same mistake last year so next year i'm going to stay for the whole day yeah so hack day was really like a happy accident um you know the first year we were talking about everybody was probably going to be flying home and flying for you know different states different countries so they would fly out at random parts of the day like let's just reserve the space for longer and you know we get a better rate anyway so let's reserve the space for longer and then people can just kind of hang out and collaborate and stuff until they have to leave for their flight and then it like turned out like half the people stayed like they wanted to stay so then we kind of turned it into this thing but i think you know we had uh brian dave cheney and i had a discussion about it and i think the hack day thing is misleading like the the name was kind of borrowed from elsewhere and it doesn't have the same meaning for us so i think next year we're going to name it community day and you know just kind of to focus more on what what the day is about and it's just kind of hanging out as community members and having those discussions with the go team or collaborating with people on open source projects and and we'll probably do a better job at outlining all the things that will take place on the day so it doesn't feel so much when you're you're booking your flight like do i need to stay for this yeah yeah it's hard because we we want it to be not organized but you have to provide at least the shell of organization so so people have an idea of how they can use that time and why it would be worthwhile for them to do it and then there's the concept of, you know, how do people find each other? We, we put out, uh, you know, little tablets at the end of the tables and put numbers on all the tables so people could meet each other at table 32 if they wanted to work on a particular project. And that worked out really well. But, you know, that's, that's really as deep as I want to go into organization on Hack Day. I want it to be a day where you can just hang out with your buddies and, and work on stuff. Or uh, I saw a lot of, uh, of really remote teams that were meeting. They were doing team meetings, face-to-face -face meetings. For the first time all year uh, in teams that work together and that was kind of fun too to see companies having face-to-face -face meetings at GopherCon on hack day that was cool and francesca you were about to say something yeah i was gonna say uh something that i really appreciated from uh from the gobot room was uh there were actually a bunch of people just playing around with with um uh what's the name uh the things that fly the drones oh, the drones drones yeah. there you go I'm, I'm so bad sometimes uh yeah so uh with uh, drones and everything flying around and it looked really fun and it made me think about you know there's conferences that, that i've been to like uh devox that they have like this side conference called devox for kids where they have like introductory courses for for kids that had not a program and and i think that that could be an amazing thing to try like i know that you had this uh family track which by the way that was an amazing idea and thank you for doing that like having to having a little bit more of technical side of the family track where kids can just go and play with robots that'd be pretty fun yeah so that was actually something we tried to do um, I think we were too late in the planning of it because it started to turn into we were planning a second conference and it was like, now we need we got to We got to market this. We have to find sponsors for this. So I think it's something we definitely want to continue to pursue. We just got to figure out how to to slide that into the planning. And if anybody listening works for a company who wants to sponsor something like that, that that takes a huge load off of us, because that's something I think we would we would ideally like to give to kids for free and not charge for children to attend that. Yeah, that'd be pretty amazing. 
So now's a good time for us to talk about our other sponsor of the show, Equinox. Equinox does packaging and distribution and updating for Go applications. They have amazing command line tooling that allows you to package up your Go application and it cross compiles it for all of the different environments that Go supports and then uploads it to Equinox's servers. And your customers or your users, your end users can download Debian packages, RPMs, uh, Microsoft Windows installers, uh, Mac packages, or, or use Homebrew to install your applications. So they've got hosted downloads and a download page. And it's kind of the, the neatest thing that I've used in, in terms of uh, the distribution of an app. You can use their library, uh, their, their Go package, to create your command line tools to be auto-updated. So you can, you can make, your, uh, make a flag, say, update, and it will go off to the Equinox servers, download just the diff of the next binary and update your package. Or if your users like Homebrew or the, the Linux package managers, they can just run an update that way. So it's, it's a great way to keep your packages up to date or your, your applications up to date. Um, and it significantly reduces the support burden that you have as an open source maintainer or even as a company that has applications that are distributed out across lots of desktops. Uh, Equinox is free for community and personal projects, and they have very affordable plans for businesses. You should go to equinox.io slash go time to learn more about it. I strongly endorse it. And, and Alan Shreve. Engrock. <laughs> and everything Alan does. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I use Engrock almost every day and they don't even sponsor the show. <laughs> <laughs> we love Engrock. Wait, wait, is, is Equinox uh, also funded by Alan Schrift? Yeah. Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. If yeah, he's cool. Off. Yeah. We, we all love Alan. He was, he was <laughs> walking around uh, GopherCon, too. It was awesome to get to see him again. He was. He was one of our first speakers at GopherCon 2014. Awesome stuff. Oh, uh, yeah. Somebody, I think uh, Adam pointed out that he was featured in our, our recap video. Which was awesome. Did you get to see the recap video that we played on day two? Yeah, I got to see it. That was really cool. The changelog guys, like, they turned that thing around in the hotel room overnight. <laughs> yeah, talk about some rapid production. It's funny because I saw Peter Helberg walking into the auditorium before the show. And I said, hey, Peter, you need to get your cell phone out and record the show when it starts. He's like, why? I said, just trust me, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> so he got to see himself on the big screen. That was cool. Yeah, I'm glad I wasn't in that. Yeah, why is that, Eric? Let's talk about that. So I have Let's to get recorded and, and go on the big video thing. Why is Eric St. Martin not on the big video thing? Because, and I almost referred to myself in the third person there. Because I, I don't know, I don't, I don't really <laughs> like cameras. <laughs> I was going to say, because Eric doesn't like cameras. <laughs> yep. Hmm. Yeah. I, you should I try I'll, to get your brother on the video. Nobody will know. Oh, yeah, he probably would have done it too. He probably could have got up there and just spoke for me. <laughs> yeah, we talked about that. My stand-in. <laughs> but you're gonna be at the Kubernetes conference, right, Eric? Uh, I'm I'm gonna submit a proposal. Excellent. So. Then you then you have to get on camera. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Maybe he didn't know that, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> right now, you're ruining it. You're supposed to tell me after I submit the proposal. They told me that it was not going to be recorded or streamed. So you're fine, Eric. It'll be okay. And then, then I end up in Francesca's place where it's like, wait, what? They accepted it? <laughs> now what? <laughs> yep. Uh, 
So I think we're almost out of time, but like, do we, do we want to move on to any projects and stuff that we found in the uh, community or any other news? I know most of us have been hiding away at GopherCon for the past week. So I do have one good GopherCon story that I have to share before we move on. Let's hear it. And that's uh, Ivan Daniluk from the um, um, concurrency, visualizing concurrency talk. The day GopherCon ended, we ended up in an elevator at the same time. And he gave me kind of a stern look and he said, we're going to have the next GopherCon in Barcelona, correct? <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> And, and I kind of didn't know what to say. I said, you know, Barcelona would be a, a beautiful place to, to have a gopher con. I've, I've never, never thought of having one there, but I've been to Barcelona and it's beautiful. That's a great idea. And he says, and he, he continues the stern look. I think it's a great idea. <laughs> it, it was, it was very Russian mafia looking. You know, I, I felt a little threatened. I'd be very glad to see that. And also that reminds me to also say that gopher con Brazil is happening. It's going to be November 11 and 12, with possibly a workshop on the 13th. Uh, but we'll see about that one. But the date is set. So start booking your tickets. The hotel is already uh, settled as well. It's, the website should be up in, I don't know, maybe tonight. Wow. Yeah, it's happening. You move fast. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, and speaking of Renee, too, the, the logo, that was awesome that she turned around. Yeah, so to, to clarify, Renee did a sketch for our logo, and it was so cute. It's a little gopher with a belly and sitting on, on the beach, drinking, <laughs> drinking something. Oh, my gosh. Oh, wait. I, I really want to see that logo now. <laughs> oh, let me, I'll paste it for you right now. I'll yeah. paste it on the channel. You can't and, upload uh, it on a podcast. <laughs> I'll paste it on the, <laughs> well, we have a, a gopher's channel. So the CFP, people are asking, it's going to be up uh, next week. The registration should be up tomorrow. The website should be up tomorrow. The CFP should be up next week. And we're also going to have the prospectus to send to uh, potential sponsors next week as well. So talk to me. There are six organizers. I'm one of them. Talk to me if you're interested in sponsoring. I'm sorry. That's it. That's, I'm, I'll stop now. <laughs> no, that's a good thing. Oh, and somebody, so, so back to heckling. Somebody totally registered github.com slash totesafe. No way. Oh, <laughs> yeah. That must have been Scott. I think it was Florin that did it. Uh, okay, so. <laughs> that is so wrong. I'm interested to see what shows up there. Is that like the staging area for the unsafe package? <laughs> <laughs> we need totesafe.io now. I think he got it too. Yep. <laughs> he registered That's that crazy. too. That is the problem when you give bad ideas in public. People will do them. That's true. Uh, so I don't know how much time we have to talk about uh, community stuff, but uh, one project I did see, I don't know whether anybody got to play with, uh, was BuntDB, which looked like they took a lot of concepts from BoltDB and added like geospatial indexing to it, which I thought was really cool. Yeah, I looked at BuntDB this morning when you posted it into the the show notes section. And it looks actually pretty interesting. I, uh, I thought the more interesting part for me was that they built it specifically to be a uh, storage backend for Raft. So it, it meets the, the Raft storage interface for HashiCorp's Raft implementation. So you can use BuntDB as a Raft store, which is kind of slick. I hadn't even caught that part of it. Well, you got to read it, Eric. Got to open it I up. I read the cool part, geospatial indexing. 
Well, that wasn't the cool part for me. My, my cool part was the raft part. Well, now raft can store its stuff geospatially. <laughs> <laughs> well, that kind of makes sense since raft is so distributed. Something tells me that geospatial indexes aren't exposed through that interface. Yeah, I'm guessing they're not. You're probably right there. Uh, so I think we are about out of time. Do we want to move into Free Software Friday? Yes, let's. Uh, can I mention one quick thing? You sure can. Because it's very much on, in the spirit of GopherCon. I do, in the, I do want to mention that there is now a Clever Gopher channel on Gopher Slack for you to post and see picture of your Gophie, our Gophies in uh, Clever places and poses. There's been a lot of interesting photos that have come through there. And I also find it really interesting that every episode, there's a new channel that's announced or discovered or created <laughs> on the show. Every single episode. It's true. I, I think the best one was Florin's picture of the gopher in the cockpit of an airplane. It looked like a 737 to me. I'm not sure. It might be a, an Airbus, but there's a gopher in the cockpit of an airplane. I didn't think that was allowed. And I was thinking, how did he manage that? Did he arm wrestle the pilots? <laughs> Did he get arrested afterwards? <laughs> yeah, I'm hoping TSA wasn't involved. <laughs> Although, what was this swag? Was it year one that there was some piece of swag that was triggering uh, something in TSA and everybody was getting their bags checked? Oh, what was that? I can't remember what it was now, but there was some piece of swag that had some sort of powder or something on it that was triggering. A lot of trouble on the way home. I remember that now. Sorry. <laughs> Oops. No, no pocket knives, right? Oh, and Scott just said the same thing. Scott Mansfield said the same thing in, in the Slack. No pocket knives is uh, GopherCon swag. Good, <laughs> good call. Or you could put it in your checked luggage. You could. I also like Dave Cheney's uh, top tip, like traveling with uh, circuit boards and loose wires. They go in your checked baggage. A lot of us were traveling with hardware for hack day. Yeah, what could go wrong with that? <laughs> <laughs> I was really worried none of it was going to show up. Like I'd get the bag and it'd be mostly empty because almost the entire bag that I had that I checked had like just tons of like logic analyzers and bus pirates and raspberry pies and loose wires and sensors and stuff. And I was like, this is not going to end. <laughs> yeah, you, you got the, the big flag for extra screening. Yeah, that's why I put Brian's name on that luggage. <laughs> Check bag for Brian Kettleson right here. All right, let's do Free Software Friday. We're running out of time. Cool. All right. You want to go first, Brian? You bet. So we, uh, I'll briefly explain again. Free Software Friday is just our place to uh, give a shout out to open source projects and or their maintainers for things that we use frequently and that we love. Uh, today, I'd like to give a shout out to, this is kind of a cheat, but I used it a lot this week. So Docker is uh, one of my favorite free software tools and sure makes life easier sometimes thank you docker and how about you carlicia <laughs> no, sub, so uh, in the topic of brazil there is this open source project called suru i'm not sure i'm pronouncing it right it's a pass a platform as a service open source of course it was put out by the by global.com the global is this uh, huge media company in brazil and um, so it's a project that came out of Brazil, and most of the maintainers, if not all, are Brazilian developers. And it has been, I'm not a, an infra person, I usually don't deal with infra, only the minimum, but it's been described to me as uh, like an alternative to Eroku. 
It's a huge project. I was surprised when I saw it. It's, it's been used by big companies. So check it out if it could be useful to you. And apparently all written in Go. Yeah, of course. Yeah, it's, it is. It's, yeah. It's been around for two years, too. It's been out for a long time. Oh, wow. It's very stable now. I actually met uh, Andrews Medina and other developers uh, at GopherCon. Oh, that's awesome. And Frances, do you have a, a project you want to give a shout out to? Feel free to say no. We're, we're blindsiding you here. That, does it need to be written in Go? No. It does not need to be written in Go. Then I think I'm going to go with something that is actually pretty old, but we use regularly for, for the podcast, for the Google Cloud Platform podcast, uh, Audacity. Oh, yeah, that, that is a good one. Nice. Open source digital audio editor, and, and it is great. It works so, so well. It makes, it makes our podcast sound way better without knowing really what I'm doing. Good call. I don't know whether uh, Adam and the changelogger is still using that behind the scenes, but I know they used to use Audacity a lot. So we don't even have to give him a link to put on Twitter. I'm pretty sure he knows that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, do we have the best deal or what? We just get to talk and somebody else does all of the post-production work and the website. I love this plan. Right. <laughs> uh, so, so mine, uh, actually, uh, I recently started using it again, and I used to be a big proponent of it, is uh, DurEnv which is durmv.net. And it's actually, it's written in Go, but it's a cool little uh, program you run in your shell so that basically when you CD into a directory, it looks for a .mvrc file. And then you can basically load up um, environment variables or execute shell commands and all kinds of stuff, which is just ridiculously nice for when you have to mangle your path or environment variables and stuff based on the project that you're working on it's just seamless you just kind of create that mvrc file and and done you don't have to think about it again yeah durham's especially nice if you want to have a, a custom go path per project you just drop that mvrc file in there that changes your go path it's kind of per custom built for that purpose built very nice and i think that is it so i want to thank everybody for coming on the show I want to thank all the listeners who are listening live right now and heckling us from the Slack channel. Um, everybody who will be listening, uh, definitely refer any Go programmers or, or people who are interested in the Go language to the podcast. Uh, thanks to everybody on the panel. Especially thank you to Francesc for coming on the show. Yay, thank you, Francesc. Thank you for having me. Thank you. So if you're not subscribed, we are on, on iTunes and uh, Play Store. Uh, you can subscribe at GoTime FM. Uh, big shout out to our sponsors for the show today, uh, Linode and Equinox.io. And then if you have something uh, you would like us to discuss or uh, suggestions for guests to come on the show, uh, github.com slash GoTime FM slash ping. And I think that's it. It's a lot to cover, but I think I got it all. You did well, Eric. Good job. All right, everybody. This was great. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye.